The information discussed in this episode is intended as general information only. It is not intended for one-on-one medical advice, and you should always consult your healthcare practitioner before making any changes. And if you like the content discussed in this episode, please go leave a review so that others can benefit from it as well. I am a woman on a mission that is dedicated to teaching you just how powerful your body was built to be. I like to do that by bringing you the latest science, the greatest thought leaders, and applicable steps that help you tap into your own internal healing power. The purpose of this podcast is to give you the power back and help you believe in yourself again. My name is Dr. Mindy Pels, and I want to thank you for spending part of your day with me. Hey, Resetters, as we step into the new year, I am so thrilled to invite you on an extremely transformative journey with me in my Reset Academy. So check this out. If you're ready to kickstart your fasting and health journey, which I know so many of you have reached out to us and asked how you customize a fasting lifestyle for you, my Reset Academy is the absolute best place to be. So here's what you get in the academy, and I like to think of it in terms of a complete picture. So imagine being surrounded by people who understand your journey, who are passionate for fasting, who want to lift you up and will support you every step of the way. My academy is not just me, my team, but it is an incredible group of people that are all dedicated to building fasting lifestyles and supporting each other in it. This is why I created the Reset Academy. So when you join, you gain access to all the exclusive calls where my team and I share the latest insights, we answer your burning questions, and we guide you towards your health goals. That's not it. We didn't stop there. By becoming a member, you're not just investing in a membership, but you're investing in yourself. I am such a fan of setting you up to win this year. And my academy is the best place I know to do that. I want to keep you focused. I want you to customize this for you. And I want you to succeed at your health goals this year. End of story. So if you're ready to unlock your fullest potential and embrace a fasting lifestyle, join me. If it feels good, join me. And let's make this year an incredible year for us all. So all you got to do is go visit drmindypels.com slash reset academy to become a member. I can't wait to welcome you. I can't wait to see you on the Zoom calls. I can't wait to be in community with you. And most importantly, let's get your health goals handled and let's do this together. It's so much better together. Together. So that's drmindypels.com slash reset academy. Excited to see you there. So I have another really interesting guest. Allie Miller has written a book that I think we all need. It's called The Anti-Anxiety Diet. Yeah. And did you have you read it, Jess? I haven't read it, but I think the world could really use it right now. Oh my gosh. We maybe we should like express a copy to all of our resetters because yes. yes. And and what was interesting about this interview is that she had some really sound nutrients and information that you need to be adding in to get your brain to function in a calm state. So 
I think it's, we have a tendency to think anxiety is because of what's going on in the world. Mm -hmm. And what I learned from her, and I, and I knew this before, but what she really hammered home to me is that you can have a neurochemical imbalance in your brain that makes you more prone to anxiety. So specifically, this, I don't know if you remember this part, Jessica, but she talked about how you should, organ meats, that organ oh. meats, I know, do you yes. eat organ meats? No, no. <laughs> Although somebody, uh, one of our family members eats a lot of heart and liver and oh. Oh, I just, I can't get the nerve to try it. Are they anxious? No, they they're actually calm? one of the calmest people I know. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's why. Shoot, I never put that together. Yeah. So again, I'm. she had me intrigued because she talked about the amino acids that were in organ meats. She talked about other things too. So you don't have to just love organ meats. But the thing that I, my takeaway was she talked about how you can blend the organ meats with other ground meat. Like you don't just have to grab some liver and you can hide it. Down. Yeah. Oh it's, like, it's like having children, right? Where you like hide the good stuff in That's other right. things. Yeah. Oh God. I, I've tried hiding it in bacon. Yeah, it's not, uh, yeah. So she talked about how you can mix it with ground meat. So there, she did give us some recipe ideas in here, which is great. But that what was so interesting and why I think this interview is so important is not only are, I don't know about you, Jessica, but the pandemic has created a, a madness of anxiety. I, I see it here in our clinic. Uh, I see it with my friends. Your husband's not very anxious, so I don't think he's no. experiencing it. No, not so much. We're pretty good, just the two of us. But I think our world and our youth, especially with all the transitions that many kids are going through with not having programs and sports and things to look forward to with their school, I think anxiety has just been increased these last couple of months. I absolutely agree. And maybe just everybody needs a little more liver. Well, yeah, right. That's just, (laughs) are you anxious? Just get some more liver. We need like t-shirts or something, stickers. (laughs) Stay calm. What is it? Keep calm. Keep calm and and liver on. (laughs) Eat more liver. Eat more liver. So anyways, you guys, she was, she had so much information. So this is an episode that if you're not, if you're listening to it in your your car, don't do what I'm about to say next. But if you're at home, I would take notes because she was like talking about all the different amino acids, all the different nutrients that you need to make your brain work in in a calm way. And I think it's so important that we understand anxiety isn't always, doesn't always come from the outside. A lot of times it's coming from an imbalance in our brain. So Allie Miller, this was a fun one. And definitely check out her book, The Anti-Anxiety Diet. For And she's on Instagram too. I follow her on Instagram and she's got some great posts there as well. Enjoy. Welcome, Allie. Thank you. I'm excited for a fun conversation today. Yeah, I have a lot of... I, I dove into your background a little bit and I, and I love this idea around anxiety and what we can, how we can use the ketogenic diet to help with anxiety and anything else you can enlighten us on that. I really want to dive in that path. Let's start off with this. Okay, registered dietitian is your background. When I look at, at your website, I look at everything you're doing, you're kind of a unicorn in the registered <laughs> dietitian world. Am I reading that right? Because when my patients go to the hospital or a registered dietitian, they don't get keto for sure. Yeah, it's far far from the norm. I've never been one to 
color within the lines, if you will. What's unique about my background is I went to a naturopathic college of medicine. And so it wasn't just a standard university dietetics program. So that had a component to it. And I've always believed that food is medicine. Mm -hmm. So I never came into the world of dietetics as a calories in, calories out, you know, exercise performance, weight loss approach. It was always on understanding the complexity of the biochemical reactions of nutrients and how particular compounds in foods could actually either upregulate or downregulate the microbiome or hormone pathways or how nutrient deficiencies could drive chronic illness and resolving them could resolve some really severe symptoms that a lot experience. So I went at it kind of in that already, I I was looking for something alternate. But what is interesting is Bastyr University outside of Seattle, Washington, that's where I got my undergrad. I went there because they had a vegetarian cafeteria and John Bastyr, the naturopathic doctor that, that opened the school was vegetarian. And I myself at that time was a you know, locavore, but vegetarian and still eating a decent amount of like the spreads and the things that didn't make sense. So I was really grateful that I went into it with the perspective and came out with it with a completely different. And I birthed this mantra that I use all the time, doctrine creates disconnect. And I use that within the scope of vegetarianism, of keto, of anything. If we get to tunnel vision with our diet being dogma or being this thing that is not malleable or cannot be adjusted based on our stress and our hormones and all these other changes, then we're not serving our body. And I'm so grateful that I broke up with my vegetarian dogma and I started to heal myself. I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's in my school time with stress peaks and probably all the soy and gluten I was consuming as a vegan. But having that ability to say, okay, let's let's look at this with a critical thought analysis. Let's see how these foods work in the body and, and what levers I need to adjust. And I came out as a paleo keto ancestral eater. (laughs) Oh my God. I I love that. So I always say that we need to stop being zealots for one style of eating, that it's in the variation that is so magical. And I too was a very sick vegetarian. In In college, I studied exercise physiology and nutrition and I read John Robbins' book, A Diet for a New America. Okay, And, And I was like, I'm never eating meat again. And I ended up getting chronic fatigue syndrome. I was like, candida just took over my body. It was so bad. And I had to come to realize that maybe there were other styles of eating that I needed to incorporate in order to heal my body. And, and I, I, I know that's hard when you are a vegetarian for ethical reasons. Was right. that a difficult transition to make? It was, but I had to have that that deep introspective thought with myself of, you know, what is the environmental impact of getting butter churned down the road in Washington or getting the eggs right next door, you know, from that apple orchard versus importing this tub of earth balance, you know, which has yeah. 11 ingredients and okay, it's it's not partially hydrogenated, it's completely hydrogenated soybean oil and it's non-GMO and it's organic, but it's, it still wasn't sustainable. And I had to make peace with the idea of biodynamic farming and sustainability. Mm. And really, I mean, when you look at the literature and you look at going back to these ancestral approaches of farming, this is the only way we can regenerate our soil. And so I think that the environmental argument and 
that component of vegetarianism is a little bit misguided and, and manipulated. I'm sure we could go on a whole podcast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All you have to do is say regenerative agriculture, and I've got a whole nother podcast for us. Yes. But yeah, yes. and, and I think, you know, it's so important to realize that because there are, there are a lot of different ways we can come at eating and the environment. And I do believe that so many people go vegetarian because they feel like it's the right thing to yes. do or they don't want to hurt the animal. But in all the, the research that I've done on the human body, we were meant to eat meat. Oh. So do you, yes. do you feel like that too? Absolutely. And Dr. Mindy, that's the thing is I, I find peace with it as well in more of like a snout to tail approach where you honor the entire animal, you consume all of the parts that are edible. And when people ask me if they can do my anti-anxiety diet as a vegetarian, my first questions are, will you eat eggs? Because I need you to have choline. I need you to have cholesterol <laughs> too. Will you, you know, and it's like, so there's these modifiable yeah. elements. Will you eat fish? Because I'm going to need to get bone stock and collagen into your diet. So if you're willing to do salmon skin and you're willing to do wild cod collagen, and you're willing to make a dashi broth with fish stock, and you're willing to eat eggs, then we can probably make this happen. I don't know what that's called at that point. That's pescatarian, I suppose, not yeah. vegetarian, but but yeah. that's the lowest I'll go with individuals because I really feel that nutrients like glycine, for instance, and we'll go way down the rabbit hole, I'm sure today, but glycine plays such a role, not just in connective tissue. And we get this rich in skin, right? So when you're eating your bone in, skin on, chicken thighs, or when you're making broth and such, or you're eating pork rinds, ideally quality sources for all of these, of course, but the nutrient glycine is such an anxiolytic. It plays such a powerful role in upregulating GABA expression, which is one of the most powerful you know, inhibitory compounds or mellower outs in our brain. And so glycine, like we think of the form of magnesium, bisglycinate in a supplemental form, but glycine in a whole food form, it disengages the tension that we hold in our neck and mm. our shoulders and our jaw when we're clenching our jaw through the night. And it can help with depth and quality of sleep. And it really does help to take us out of that pinch trauma of the stress anxiety response. And we could talk about glutamine. There's so many nutrients that we can really find only available from animal. Yeah, that's so well said. And it's interesting because right now in this day and age, anxiety is like, I mean, as you and I are doing this interview, <laughs> most of the world's in quarantine. Although you're in Texas, you guys might be coming out soon. In California here, we may be in quarantine for the rest of our lives. Gosh. We never know. <laughs> But, you know, I think it's so, it, people don't turn to food and the foods they're eating in a proper way to reduce their anxiety. They turn to the Oreo, they turn to the bag of chips to have an immediate re reduction of anxiety, but they don't realize that that sets them up for more anxiety down the road. So. Right. Talk a little bit about just what are some good practices if I was going to look at my diet at, to lower anxiety, what would I want to look at? Sure. So with my food as medicine perspective, it's a double-edged sword. You know, we all have to eat, right? So we're looking at as powerful of a combination of the abundance or focused nutrients that aid in managing stress response, giving us powerful nutrients to build neurotransmitters that are, as I said, inhibitory or mellowing out, as well as it is managing the pro-inflammatory, gut-disrupting, hormone-disrupting compounds in the diet. And so it is, it is a both end of the spectrum. And I, I take 
a large kind of stroke to hit both ends of that. And the most powerful one though is blood sugar regulation, bar none. And I apply that to all ages, starting with babies, toddlers, talking about early diagnosis of ADHD in children and neurological disorders like tics and behavioral disorders, all the way into teens and PMDD and mood and and going into adulthood. Mm. When we're on a roller coaster of blood sugar spikes and crashes, we experience hanger, right? We get that Mm -hmm. all of the symptoms of hyperglycemia and hypoglycemia can really be exacerbated with someone that's prone towards anxiety, whether that's shakiness, whether that's palpitations, whether that's racing thoughts, whether that's fatigue or burnout. Mm -hmm. And really the best thing we can start to do for all ages is, is take us off of that roller coaster and go into a speed bump approach by at least applying a low glycemic diet, by harnessing those elevations in blood sugar levels, which are hitting those refractory over insulin surge crashes and creating that vicious Oreo cycle right? <laughs> going for more, right? Yep. And so when we can pull off the refined carbs and we can get to more of a whole foods diet and we balance every carbohydrate with protein and or fat, like if you're to have half an apple, having that with the almond butter and whatnot, you're getting a step closer. But then you can get even further if you can start to restrict carbohydrates enough and increase that fat lever and play with your protein and start to produce ketones because ketones cross the blood-brain barrier. Mm. And similar mechanisms, you know, if we all take a step back and think about the grand acknowledgement of the use of ketones for epilepsy and management of seizures, we can apply that similar mechanism that when those ketones cross the blood-brain barrier, they reduce the excitatory signals to our nervous system. And they also aid in upregulation of GABA. They're GABAergenic. So they actually increase that expression of that mellow out compound that helps us to feel safe. And ketones also have a powerful influence on the pituitary. So this whole HPA axis of hypothalamic pituitary adrenals, that's our feedback of what regulates a sympathetic fight or flight Mm. or parasympathetic, rest, digest, and I say reproduce, metabolize, regulate. That's the regulatory, not just rest, digest function. Right. So I love all that. Like you're speaking my language because I just love what diet does to the brain. And I think we live in a society that feels like if there's something wrong with the brain, we have to fix the brain or we have to talk it out or we have to change the situation. And when you dive into some of the things you just said, it's like, wait, no, we have so much more control that can be controlled around the quality of the food we eat. Yeah. But what about the teenage world? Like, I remember, you know, my daughter came home from high school one day and said, said that her friend had anxiety so bad she couldn't go to school anymore. And I was like, what? Like I never, when, when I was a kid, we never had that. Yeah. So what do you think's going on in the teenage group and how do we get them to do what you just said? How do we get them to do the ketogenic diet? Well, I think something that's going on now that's concerning that I bring light to in the book is that the dopamine depletion and the, the dopamine imbalance and catecholamine or stress responding chemicals that we're driving from the blue light exposure, which mm. is a big piece. It really is. And if you pair that blue light, which is you know any screen, so whether it's a computer, a tablet, your smartphone with 
social media, mm. which has, I mean, I, I miss that era. I was in the AOL messenger. Like I just got there <laughs> and, and texts were still the multi numbers to hit the letters, you know, like two, two, two to get yep. the letter E or whatever. I don't know. Um, and yeah. so I, I got my first iPhone when I was uh, in my last year in college. So I don't really know what that feels like to be in a high school environment, but I can't imagine of having at your fingertips such volatility and, you know, sheltered ability to comment and, and, and be snarky and mean, unfortunately, yeah. and judgment and these, these parallels that we're trying to hold ourselves to. And we know from research that the blue light alone is going to impact our dopamine in our brain. And when you're talking about something like eating snacks or things to try to get that, that food coma or that escapism, that's usually we're looking for a dopamine surge. And mm. we burn through serotonin and dopamine when we're under stress. Mm. So again, the blue light exacerbates that dopamine depletion. So we're, we're coming at a lower level. And then we're getting less bliss reward because we're comparing ourselves and thinking negative self-talk of, I'm a loser, I'll never look like that. X, Y, Z. And so we end the day and we open the pantry or we go to the 7-Eleven or wherever we are. And we want that. I made it through another day. Now what do I get? What's right. my pick me up? What's my reward? And yeah. adults, adults do this too. And we yeah. find ourselves in the pantry or opening the bottle of wine or whatnot before we've even processed, am I hungry? You know, what does my body need? What will serve me? And we've seen in research that sugar, especially sugar paired with fat actually, can spike and hold your dopamine levels elevated longer. But what mm. refined sugar does not do is it doesn't replete your nutrient stores to produce dopamine. Mm. So you get this short light up from an already low space from the, the way that you're living, right? You get that little pick-me-up, then it crashes and you're, the foundation isn't moving in the right direction. The foundation is in fact getting lower because we know things like refined sugar, we know things like flour-based foods actually deplete B vitamins and B mm -hmm. vitamins are cofactors. We know we're not getting any tyrosine, which is the amino acid that builds dopamine, which we'd find in our egg yolk or our dark poultry, most protein-containing foods in general from a salty, crunchy, or a refined carb snack as well. So I like to recommend things like nori seaweed, which is what's mm. made with sushi. Oh, so interesting. That was my my teenage daughter's favorite thing was well, to just... I know. When, Perfect. When she was living with us. She's in college now. Yeah. So like a nori sheet with like avocado slices and turkey is like a really easy like Great four o'clock. I call that a dopamine boost. So then when you get home, you're already arrived in a status of elevated dopamine, or at least you're picking up what you dropped from your stressful day. You're not coming empty looking to fill that void. Now, right. I don't know, maybe your daughter's unique in the sense that a teenager would eat that, but maybe in her 20s, right? I think in a teenager setting, it's, it's just a conscious conversation and an empowerment. And I think meeting them with nutritional supplements. I'm a huge fan of orthomolecular therapy. I'm a huge fan of functional use of nutrients. And that particular individual would probably do well with you know, some myo-inositol, some magnesium bisglycinate, some GABA in a bioidentical mm -hmm. form yep. to get them going a B complex, see if they're on birth control because that could be depleting their B status. Mm -hmm. And then once you get them above water, then you can start layering and adding. And I find things like smoothies work really beautifully for oh, the teen great. population. Yep. So things that allow them autonomy and ownership and are still kind of on trend and kitschy cool, but you can modify the macros to still be low glycemic and still be brain boosting and supporting. 
Okay. What do you think of this new like phrase that's come out in the last couple of years called dopamine fasting? Do you feel, do you know about it? No, no. Like, oh, it's, so I'm in Silicon Valley. So okay. it's, it's quite popular here that the belief is that with social media that and all our access to the dings and the whistles and everything that's going on in the yeah. blue light, that we are just like we're insulin resistant, we've become dopamine resistant. Sure. And so part of what's happening to the world in, and this is all ages, is that there's just that general level of unhappiness because we've flooded our dopamine receptor sites with poor food and with all the, the the video games and all the social media that we can't even, even if we're producing dopamine, we're not getting it into sure. the cells. Have you, it's fascinating. So what you do supposedly is you go completely like away from everything for 24 to 48 hours. I love and, that. Right. It's a great <laughs> idea. I don't know if you get a teen to do it. Yeah. But yeah. It would, re- and that it resets the dopamine receptor sites. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a fantastic thing. And cutting off screens, wearing blue blockers, there's always kind of happy mediums, at least adjusting the settings on your phone, getting your feet on the grass and grounding and and things like that. I, I think that those are all great things. I think in many ways, when we look at the dynamics of what's going on in in our health story as we've evolved through industrial revolution and whatnot is that we need to go back to go forward. And I think that's another, another one of those ways, you know? Yeah. So true. So let's talk about what's going on in the world right now, because anxiety, surely are people like reaching out to you left and right? Anxiety has to be like on the top of everybody's mind. It's palpable. I mean, it, it really is. Like you said, I am in Austin, Texas, and think my daughter went back to school today at a Montessori oh. school. And, wow. oh, and that was quite the conversation because I didn't feel it was appropriate to send her to school if the teacher would be wearing a mask because she's three and a half. And how does one show empathy or make a child feel safe or help them with expression and pronunciation if they can't see their nonverbal communication and their mouth. <laughs> oh my gosh. That so. is brilliant. What a what a conscientious mama you are. And I it's, think some people listening to this would be like, are you crazy? I would want my teacher to wear a mask. But when what is the three-year-old gonna learn from that? I know. And imagine a teacher trying to organize a classroom. Okay, children, get to right. go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh right. Oh my gosh. Oh my <laughs> Everyone's gosh. Everyone's like, da, 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 whatever. Yeah. So, so that was a little bit of a work structure and, and they're doing temp checks. I'm on board with that, of course, and things like that. We're all navigating very new territory and we all have very, we're either in the, the narrative of the mainstream media or we, and we can be a little bit of both. It's a Venn diagram, I think in many ways, but I think yeah. there's very strong opinions across the board and it's a pretty polarizing time. And that in itself can create some palpable anxiety. But I mean, really when I think like March, April in my space was this like just zombie apocalypse palpable. <laughs> I mean, you couldn't walk outside. It was like, you could just feel it. The anxiety yeah. was physiological and in the environment. And it's been a high need of, of, of serious burnout, waking in the middle of the night. I have neurosurgeon clients at Texas Children's Hospital that are waking up in the middle of the night screaming. You know, there's just a lot. And not because of what they're seeing, because it's more about the protocols that they're having to go through and and the changes in their their structure of their day-to-day performance. That's a big hit. So yeah. 
Yeah, we've done that here in our office. We had to like to stay in essential business, what we had to do to stay open. After about two weeks of that, I looked at my staff and I'm like, we're all going to be burnt out at the end of this. And so we actually cut our hours back just to be able to like take good care of ourselves. Yes. Because if you are in the healthcare care world right now, it's it's really what you have to do, or even in the teaching, like what your teacher, what the your child's teacher has to do to show up just to teach three-year-olds is, is mm-hmm. crazy. So what, what I think again, like I go, okay, well, how do we help the population with the yeah. knowledge that you have? It's like, okay, we could lean into, we can't change what's going on with the way that we have this shelter in place, regardless of where, but we can change what we're eating. So what I heard from you is like, keep your blood sugar low, right. which is great. What else? What other foods? Yeah. And, and and let's also put it in the context of like, I, how do we help all socioeconomic backgrounds? Because yeah. some people can't afford supplements. Right, they, right. How do they get it in food? No doubt. And, and so my anti-anxiety diet takes a 6R approach and they're all functional medicine kind of layers, if you will. And my whole hypothesis, actually, I, I put this book out postpartum and my whole hypothesis was a decade of working with functional medicine and individuals as I'm being the detective of their body, whether they were deeming anxiety, even on their top three, top 10, shoot, I don't know, priorities. I could see that, you know, maybe we're working with a Crohn's patient and we've done all the gut protocols. And the only thing that wasn't hitting was they weren't sleeping through the night. They were constantly wiry. They were burning out. And you know what? Stress depletes your secretory IgA and it elevates your lipopolysaccharide. And so there's these complex mechanisms of the stress response, or we could call it anxiety. We could use those interchangeably that really destroy the body. And so I came with this hypothesis that anxiety is the Achilles heel of wellness. It doesn't matter how clean your diet is, how perfect your supplement strategy is, if you're in a constant state of unknown, of ruminating on what was or anticipatory stress of what will be, your body is not going to feel safe and you will not be well. And that comes down to this concept of that pendulum swing of the HPA axis of not thriving in this sympathetic fight or flight mode, but bringing the body back into that regulatory parasympathetic state. And so that's kind of the the premise of, of, of my work. And I look at both, as far as the six R's go, removing inflammation So I demonize five pro-inflammatory foods. So I demonize corn. I was going to say, tell us, tell us. (laughs) Yes. So I demonize corn, gluten, which are probably out for most of your listeners, soy, dairy, and then refined sugar. And in, in a couple of those areas, there's little caveats, but generally speaking, it's because you know, corn and soy are high GMO, 93% of both of those crops. So why would you consume something that has neurotoxin activity if you're looking at a neurological enhancement? Why would we consume things that are high omega-6 and processed oxidized polyunsaturated fats if we're looking to reduce oxidative stress? And so I kind of identify with each. Within dairy and soy, I have some caveats for miso, and I have a caveat with dairy as far as kind of a choose-your-own-adventure. After 12 weeks of removal, you could play with raw milk if you have access I was just going to say, what do you think of raw milk? Yeah. So I think raw milk's a great way to build immunoglobulin in the body. I think so many of my asthmatic pediatric patients do fantastic with it because of that 
secretory IgA and immunoglobulin connection. I mean, again, going back to nature, we, we destroyed milk when we put it through ultra heat processing and filtration and we broke those particles to create oxidative stress. Mm -hmm. And we lost all of the probacteria in there when we pasteurize it, right? And that's what creates more lactose issues because you're losing the lactase enzyme. There's a lot of things that we've done wrong there. But grass-fed whey and ghee and raw milk are the ones and raw aged cheeses that might work. But casein in general, even the A2, less inflammatory casein, casein does cross the blood-brain barrier. And so when we're looking at mood regulation, and especially in the world of like anxiety with addictive tendencies or outrage or irritability, the caseomorphin influence on our opioid receptors can be somewhat imbalancing for individuals that have, for instance, like bipolar disorder or schizophrenia. I find that dairy is one that we have to be tighter based on the mental health status of the individual. So I do pull that out tight for 12 weeks and then I give you a little reintroduction. So say the six again, it was corn, wheat, dairy... Oh, okay. No, yeah. I'm sorry. Say the foods in the first one again. Yeah. So there's six that, R's, which are functional approaches. Right. And the first R's remove inflammation. Okay. So and within that inflammation, the five foods are corn, soy, gluten, dairy, and sugar. So I've teamed up with Tony Horton. Do you know Tony Horton? He was the creator of P90X, one of the most revolutionary at-home fitness programs. And we created together a new fitness program called Power Sync 60. And it is literally, this program's never been done. It is a revolutionary 60-day program for both men and women. So here's why I want you to join us, is that we literally created Power Sync 60 with you in mind. So it doesn't matter if you're a cycling woman, a postmenopausal woman, or a man, One of the things I brought to Tony was that when we work out, we have to think about our hormones. And he had never done that in the millions of workouts that he's created in his lifetime. We also included a free bonus meal plan and a customized tailor way you can eat right for yourself. Also, of course, we put some fasting in there and it was a beautiful meeting of the minds. So this is like a passion project that I'm so excited to share with you. And in order to get it, all you got to do is visit drmindy.org and use the code PS60PELS. So PS60 and then my last name, PELS, P-E-L-Z, to get 20% off. And you get lifetime access to the program. So that's drmindy.org and you use the code PS60PELS to join all of us. I'm actually doing this myself right now. So come join me, my community on this incredible journey. I am so proud to bring this to you. Here's what's interesting. And this is something I've just been thinking deeply about because I feel like the messaging that we're getting so much right now in this COVID situation is that we don't, we should fear we have no control. So I started a discussion on my Facebook page about what was more important, masks, social distancing, or a low glycemic diet. And people were like, you can't compare those things. They're not, you're comparing apples to oranges. And my belief system is it doesn't cost any money to change the foods you're eating if you're going to look at what you're taking out. So those five things you just said, 
anybody could take that out and we could have a massive change in their immune system. We could also have a massive change in how they perceive anxiety. So instead of us all avoiding this, how do we get the education out, especially to some of the lower income places that those five have to change if you want to have a fighting chance at keeping your immune system up and your brain happy? I think it's bi-directional. I mean, I think one element is unfortunately the farm subsidies and, and that's where I'd love to see grassroots movement really make an impact. And I'm hoping that that's a part of this great awakening. <laughs> that's what I'm so, yeah, that's what that I'm calling it for. <laughs> within Dr. Dr. Christian Northrup's yeah. language. I, I'm all about this being the great awakening. I mean, that would be a beautiful thing to come awake with because we're seeing comorbidities and metabolic disease as being the primary influential factor of mortality. Yep. Point blank, I'll say it. And, yep. and so that is a way that we unfortunately are funding the accessibility of these commodity crops and not regulating the, the quality in which they're grown. We're also depleting our soil and our future food system. And these items are being subsidized in the sense that, I mean, there's no way logically to look at a, I don't even know, Big Mac 199 meal, whatever some of these fast food meals are, where you're getting a, a, a beverage fries and a burger of sorts, and it's under $3. There's just no logical sense. And then when you look at the number of ingredients, how many imports, all of the influence of that, how that came down to be that price point is very frustrating. I mean, I mean it's it's not the, it, it, we right. can't compare to Whole Foods and Whole Foods right now cost more expensive, not the store, whole single ingredient foods. Right. Um, and there's just no reason why a patty with 17 ingredients should be cheaper than ground beef. I I just can't logically make sense of that. And it's unfortunately heavily impacted by our subsidies and then also influenced by our food stamp programs in WIC. They will subsidize processed American singles, but not single ingredient cheese because it has to have a brand because there's so much corporate lobbyist interest, unfortunately, in what foods, and I use air quotes, what foods are available to the lower income. And so I do think it's a definite uphill battle. And it's going to be a process from ground up, up down, because we need the policy change. We need the accessibility, but we also need to empower at all levels of socioeconomical status, because that's how we can unite through this and really make a healthier country. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Like, I feel like you need a mic drop on that one. (laughs) That was, I couldn't have said it any better. And I feel like this is the, the, what we're arguing in this moment is not the proper argument. It's not virus avoidance. It's that we have a country, a world that is in a health crisis. They are sick. And this virus is showing us that. Yes. Like what you just said, you have to have money to be able to eat food that doesn't destroy your health. And that is wrong. That is completely wrong in my opinion. So so yeah, dive into the other. I just want to make sure we don't miss the other ones because I could talk for hours on that that one topic. And uh, yeah, I I really want to give people applicable things because that topic actually is anxiety producing. It's a yes. little sad. The second R does overlap with what's going on now too, and it's reset the microbiome. So the first R again, remove inflammation, reset the microbiome, repair gut lining, then it's restore nutrient status, 
rebalance neurotransmitters and rebound adrenals. Those two are flipped. Rebound adrenals, rebalance neurotransmitters. And so in my book, I do give you quizzes. So in each chapter, someone might start heavily on the resetting their gut, for instance. Maybe they've had a history of antibiotic use for their acne. You know, Maybe they're dealing with bloating and distension or they failed my dysbiosis quiz. So that might be their first kind of priority entry. So they'll be focusing on food as medicine like caprylic acid in their coconut oil beyond the generalized anti-anxiety diet. There's different kind of levers or tools that we would add up. If it's someone that had to evacuate from the hurricane a couple years ago, they might be dealing with that rebound adrenal because they were living on adrenaline and their cortisol was so elevated for a period that now they're dealing with chronic inflammation and histamine overload because they're totally burned out and depleted with their cortisol values and they'll have a different approach. So I do try to provide you, it doesn't work in that order of those six as a one, two, three, four, five, six. You may kind of hone in on one area, Mm -hmm. but Resetting the microbiome, I think, is so relevant now because the same kind of conversation in the sense of, I really feel it's a disservice that we're only messaging sterility, stay at home. Yes. And we're not allowing the, 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 the lack of rhetoric on the influence and the power of the innate and acquired immune system and how probacteria have been shown in clinical research with double-blind randomized clinical controlled trials to influence both the innate and acquired through toll-like receptors through our gut-associated lymphatic tissue. I mean, the fact that we aren't talking about probiotics, it just has me hitting my head on on the wall daily. And then secondarily, that we are emphasizing sterility so much makes me so concerned. You know, even like the hairdressers and the places that are opening now, they're using medical grade sanitizers that really are quite harmful to a robust microbiome, can really insult our gut bacteria. And our microbiome is not just in the GI tract. You know, this is inside our nose, inside our oral cavity, our ears. This is what started our inoculation process through our birth story. Yep through vaginal versus cesarean. And it's a a lifetime of symbiotic journey with the host. And yes, it can get thrown off, but what we really want to, what I'm really trying to continue to speak on and tread lightly on in this current narrative is being mindful that sometimes when you go too far, it's very difficult to rebuild that robust diversity. You can consume the cultured foods, absolutely, please do. And I want you to have your fermented beverages and I want you to have the lactobacillus pickled foods and such. But we also need to kind of take a step back and, and, and critically apply that the hygiene hypothesis has not proven itself and that we've seen in research kids that play in the dirt kids that have a dog because dogs are dirty, let's just say, and they have dander and, and, and yep. antigens, right? You know, that, that these are healthier, more robust children. And, yep. and I'm concerned about that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, throughout this whole thing, I've been saying, I think in order to be a politician, you have to take an immunology exam. Like you need to know how the immune system works because it works by interchange with other people. And I I heard something the other day that when we went into isolation, the idea was that the hospitals needed to organize themselves. So let's just put everybody in isolation for a couple of weeks so we can organize ourselves, figure out what we're going to do with this. And then the idea was originally then to come out. And that here, we, I don't know about you, but we've been for eight weeks now yeah. and, and you've got a generation of people that are a boy in the bubble. 
that yeah. what what are you going to do when these people come out if you haven't gotten your immune system to be strong? And it it just that part baffles me as well. So what like other than a probiotic, what are some of your right. favorite ways to to rebuild the gut? Gardening, so getting in into the earth actually, and incorporating those soil based organisms. Again, you can get, you don't have to eat the dirt. Although I oh, don't peel my carrots and such. Yeah, I mean we do yeah. a little bit. You know, it's it, just through inhalation, just through interchain, you're going to be able to get some of that good microbiome in the reduction of the sterility. So yes, wash your hands. But again, we've seen time and time studies that show good old friction and soap can be a powerful tool for hygiene. And we don't need all of these antimicrobial sprays and the Lysol and our kitchen countertops and all of those types of things where we don't need that level of of hospital sterility in our household. So I think reduction again, and then access to outdoors and then consuming those fermented foods. And I will note, because this kind of connects back to the book, I often get the question from people that don't tolerate probiotic-rich foods. Like, oh, I ate some sauerkraut and it felt like a bomb went off my belly. I got so bloated, you know, like this big food baby of distension and I was belching and I had flatulence and all sorts of stuff was going on. Well, you know, our, our gut bacteria is about three pounds of our body by weight and the microbiome outnumbers the cells that make up our body 10 to 1 hundreds of trillions of cells and they do have their own agenda and you know they they work on their own flow and so sometimes when the gut is in a dysbiotic state meaning that there's an overgrowth of a pathogenic bacteria or a harmful bacteria or even an overgrowth of common soul wildflowers and you don't have enough of the ideal symbiotic flora when you then introduce a probiotic often there's a battle environment. And so we can see sometimes more distension or intolerance of gut bacteria as being a wake-up call that we may need to go through a a tighter gut cleanse. And connecting to anxiety, when the gut is symbiotic or optimized, you manufacture more serotonin and GABA. You're mellowing out for the brain. In fact, we say 90% of our serotonin is manufactured in the gut. And if the gut is in a dysbiotic state, it actually puts out more epinephrine. So the body actually starts to put out these bells and whistles to our central nervous system that things aren't right. Adrenaline starts to go up in a dysbiotic state. And so that just further kind of can perpetuate then the fight or flight response. Yeah, yeah, it's so well said. And and when you when you dive into that level of understanding, you're like, holy moly, do we have a big problem? Yeah, like, yeah. Like we need to put our money, our resources, our energy on changing. If we just change the microbiome alone, we could we could transform people's health. Yeah, it's, it's really it's. It, but yet we're over here arguing about do we have enough health care for everybody, which is really right. just sick care for everybody. So yeah. Talk a little bit about adrenals. So again, I what I noticed with a lot of my patients is like at this time, they were already on max stress. Yeah. And now I've got like families that have two working parents. They were on max stress and then they went into quarantine with their children that they're now having to homeschool. Mm-hmm. So how can we support the adrenals with diet? 
Yeah. So we really want to focus on, this is a time when that snout to tail philosophy works well because organs are fantastic for Mm. the adrenals and the mitochondria. So if we're dealing, and usually if you're dealing with adrenal fatigue, your mitochondria could appreciate a little bit extra love as well, because that's going to only help your energy production in the body and the brain. When we look at nutrients that are powerhouses for the adrenals, I think of pantothenate, um, which is vitamin B5. I also think of our vitamin C, which we can get in our citrus. In fact, in all the glands in the body, the tiny adrenal glands, little walnut-sized glands, hold the most vitamin C stores and very connected to this time as well because vitamin C status can optimize white blood cell function, can reduce oxidative stress. We've seen some compelling studies of use of vitamin C therapy, and we've seen in past viral activity being supported by optimized vitamin C stores. And that's why we think of that always as immune time, which I think the holidays kind of deplete us. And then that makes us susceptible in in the new year always for some of these types of pathogens. And then we call it a flu season. Yeah, flu season. It's (laughs) vitamin C and low vitamin D status. Yeah, it's low vitamin C season. Yeah, that's what we should call it. Yeah, (laughs) because vitamin C plays a huge role in cortisol metabolism and production. And so that is one of those kind of adds insult to injury then. The organs are fantastic because they're loaded in B vitamins and they're highly bioavailable. So we have a bunch of recipes of like... I was going to say, I'm like, okay, I'm willing to do almost anything, eat anything for my health. I'm not sure about organs. So tell me how I can do that. The best way of getting an organ... So you can do shellfish as one option, like oysters. You know, So that's a fantastic way to get a really bioavailable boost of vitamin B12. You're getting also some nice zinc in your shellfish, which is great. Zinc is a huge mood boost for the brain and immune system. We have so many overlaps today. Right. Um, But shellfish is fantastic if you're getting the organelle right in there, Mm -hmm. mussels, clams, oysters. But if you're doing ground organ, I like to recommend starting at a quarter of your ratio of your ground protein. So if you're doing, for instance, like bison or grass-fed beef, you would do, uh, for instance, three quarters of a pound of ground beef with a quarter pound of an organ blend. We actually have in Texas... I'm sorry? So you you grind it up. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So you can put it through your food processor, like your Cuisinart, especially something as, as simple as like liver, okay. heart and kidney are a little more dense. Um, so those ones you would want to either like uh, treat with buttermilk and lemon, and then you'd want to maybe chop that up before you'd food process it. But I do, I would run it through a food processor just with the S blade, just so it, it gets kind of ground and then incorporate that into ground beef. Then you can do taco meat. We have a bacon meatloaf recipe. I mean, anything with bacon and like a jammy tomato flavor that takes off and and gives some umami flavor, which cuts that medicinal metallic flavor of the organ. Mm -hmm. That's a fantastic recipe in the book. And we do some meatballs too. So anytime you're adding like fresh herbs and a lot of flavor, and then you work with your ratio with your palate. So you could even start with two pounds of ground beef and a quarter pound, you know, and you can kind of work your way up even lighter. But I find a sweet spot to be a quarter ratio that's to work well. Okay, and then that's a good idea. Yeah. Now, yeah. Do you worry about toxins in those? Because like I think about eating a liver and I'm like, wait a second, I want to make sure my that animal is really clean. I do focus on, you know, grass-fed pasture-raised organs for sure, most definitely. But with that being said, I, I really think that the boost of choline and like, I mean, I mean, sometimes we're talking about 200 to 300 times the nutrient density we'd get of that muscle fiber in the organ itself. And I mean, if you look ancestrally, that was the, the harvested 
kill, you know, like it was the, Oh yeah. They didn't get rid of stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's what like the, the tribal leaders got or the women got to eat, you know, as far as keeping their bodies fertile. And we do know that a lot of bee density hundreds of times higher in the organs. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay. You got, you have me rethinking it because I've heard (laughs) that before. You know, the first person who talked about organ meats was Terry Walls. You know, she talked about how the autoimmune diet, and I remember when I heard that and I thought, yeah, I can do ketones, I can do vegetables, I can do all the other things she said, but organ meats, no thank you. Yeah. Um, but I never thought of grinding it with other meats. That's a great idea. Yeah. Well, what about with oysters? Do you worry about the toxicity because the shellfish, do, is there a way to do those as toxic? I haven't, I haven't eaten golf oysters, if that answers the question. <laughs> I've been living in Texas, I've been living in Texas uh, since 2009, so... Oh my gosh. I, I really like Pacific Northwest. And I also watch for pathogen. I try to watch the sea, the time of the year and heat. And I try to be mindful, of course. But, right. but I'm, I'm definitely a fan of a good half dozen raw oysters here or there. Yeah. No, it's a great idea. So, okay. Talk a little bit about your book. Tell me yeah, like, what resources can people have? Because I love how you're just looking at the, the food and then you're looking at all these nutrients and combining that together. And then yeah. it feels like you've done it in a very applicable way because information is not helpful if you don't know how to apply it. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Sexy paper that collects dust doesn't help anyone. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Exactly. So I don't want people to leave this podcast and be like, oh, that was great information, but then they don't know what to do with it. Yeah. So like I said, I think one of my favorite parts of the book, so I have the anti-anxiety diet book, which is like the nonfiction, like deep dive nerdo, if you want to read all the research. And it's a fantastic companion with the anti-anxiety diet cookbook, which came out last fall. So the anti-anxiety diet is the one that would have those kind of quizzes per chapter. And I think it's a really great way for you to just look functionally at your body, looking at, is it something that I have to consider in my adrenals? Is this potentially a progesterone thing? And do I have to think about sexual hormones? Is this potentially gut bacteria or leaky gut or an inflammatory response? And that'll allow you to just kind of pick up some aha moments. And then yes, like you said, with each chapter, there's actually food as medicine recipes that are given even in the nonfiction book that just doesn't have the like cookbook style. But there are 40 plus recipes in the first book. And for instance, you might be recommended to do the bacteria battling chimichurri. So if you did fail, yeah, if you failed the gut, you know, dysbiosis quiz, then that's going to be laden with oregano and garlic and olive oil, all these compounds that have known bioflavonoids or polyphenol-based compounds that can actually eradicate bacteria overgrowth and play a successful piece of your cleanse process. So you'll get these kind of like abundance food goals and then recipes, which incorporate a synergy of those ingredients in hopefully a really delicious applicable form. Oh, uh, brilliant. And how long did it take you to write these books? (laughs) Quite a while. So it was about a year for both books. Yeah. Yeah. So the anti-anxiety diet cookbook is my kind of newer baby and it does stand alone. So that came out last September. And I said, you know, like for the holidays, if you've read the first book and you have a family member that you think needs it, but you're like, I'm not sure if they're going to go that deep. (laughs) It might work the other way where you start with the cookbook. It still gives you an intro to all of those six functional R's and gives you food for thought. So like, for instance, in the repair gut lining chapter, there's a table called bone broth five ways, because I make a joke 
about how in Austin, Texas, not everyone wants to sip hot meat juice in the middle of the summer when yeah, it's 95 no, degrees. No. Yeah. So we have recipes like a bone broth Bloody Mary and we have with or without vodka, but we have um, options of it. doing things like blending your greens into your bone broth, a cream of kale soup with coconut milk and turmeric and a couple handfuls of greens and two cloves of garlic. And you just blend that. And then that's much more of like a hearty delivery and might feel a little better than that hot meat juice. So yeah, I try to think of it. the challenges that came out from the first book in that year and kind of kept layering and applying into the cookbook. Ah, oh, I love it. I can't wait to check it out. I will definitely get my hands on one. Okay, let, let's finish with this thought. So one of the things that's unique or that we love to bring people that we love to bring on to this podcast are people that are just like on a mission to like change the world or to get a message out and, and really make this world a better place than the day they first landed on it. So what do you, what do you feel like that is? If you had one message that you could shout from the, the highest mountain in the world, what would that message be? that your body is capable. And I think that that's really good messaging now. Your body, when fueled with whole real foods and given access to nature, is capable to do so much. And it's capable to battle pathogen. It's capable to prevent chronic illness. It's capable to feel amazing, to have clear thoughts, and to feel like yourself again. You are capable. Yeah. And it's, and just you, it's like, yeah. we don't need all this extra. That It's amazing. I, I just am absolutely in alignment with that. Like we're born in a miracle. Yeah. Like, let's just maximize that miracle. Yeah. yeah. I love it. Well, this was awesome. I really enjoyed so fun. talking to you and I can't wait to get your cookbook and your book to my audience. So we'll put links in there. Where online, where's the best place to find you? I keep it really simple. It's just at Allie Miller RD. And so that's like Instagram and Facebook. And then I have two websites. I have AllieMillerRD.com, which is my naturally nourished supplement line and my protocols and books and programs. And then NaturallyNourishedRD.com is where my blog and my podcast and my clinic resides. Awesome. Well, thank you, Allie. This was a true joy and you've got me convinced I'm going to go get some organ meat. So, <laughs> all right. Love, <laughs> to hear, love to hear about it. <laughs> Thanks. Appreciate your time. Thank you for having me on. Uh-huh. Yeah. You put the whole foods in, you take all empty foods out, you put organic food in and you shake bad toxins out. You eat ketobiotic and your microbiome shouts. That's what it's all about. You put fast cycling in, you take overeating out, you put the good fats in, trying seven fast types out. You download Carb Manager where your food is all graphed out. That's what it's all about. That's what resetting is all about.